It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April nineteenth, two thousand and twelve. Welcome to the program tonight. Thank you for joining us. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here as usual. Hello, Dad. Welcome to the program, Jacob. Great to join you on the Virtual Bible Study as always on Thursday night. We look forward to. Our time together and with our friends on the Internet, a chance to study some truths from God's Word. And we are looking forward to studying with you tonight. We hope you have your Bibles out as we look to God's Word. The number to call is 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com. And the chat room that you should use is to the right of your video window if you're watching us on the live feed tonight. We look forward to hearing from you. If you're listening to us in the podcast version, as many of you do, and as a listener in uh, the U.K. has indicated uh, in his response to our questions tonight that he will be listening in the podcast, we welcome you and we welcome your comments at any time. Feel free to send us an email or call us at any time that you're listening to this program. Monty's behind the controls tonight, and we're w- glad that uh, you're back, Monty. Welcome uh, to the program. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here. All right, and uh, keep those uh, keep those numbers or uh, those buttons working good on that side uh, tonight. And uh, we have an interesting topic planned. Jacob, we, we try to come back to the subject of baptism uh, from time to time because it's such an important subject and unfortunately one that there's a lot of disagreement about in the religious world, but also one that people have a lot of questions about. And so we try to deal with this important biblical doctrine of baptism from time to time. And it's been a while since we've talked about it. So I thought we might deal with three things that come up fairly often. Obviously, we're not going to deal with all the questions about baptism tonight, but there are three questions that come up fairly often, and we want to try to discuss them in our program. We're looking for your feedback to these questions. Remember that on Thursday about noon, we usually send out an update telling everybody what our topic for discussion is going to be, asking for your feedback. We've got a little bit of feedback. We're looking for more. We think our program is always better when we get feedback from our listeners so you can do that by email. We'll keep monitoring our email tonight. Or you can do that in the chat room. You can give us a phone call. You got the phone ready to go, Jacob? Uh, well, it will be ready. It Just will be ready. We, we, didn't, ready. we didn't bring it in here. We'll have it. If you call, we'll put you on the air. But uh, remember that you can get on that update list by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com and just put add me to the list. Uh, several have done that even recently, and so we'll be glad to add you. Here's the questions that we want to talk about tonight. We sent these out earlier today. First of all, concerning things that are necessary in in order for one's baptism to be valid or effective. Yes. What things are absolutely necessary, what things are not critical to the outcome. Yes. So that will be our first question for consideration. Secondly, concerning baptism of young children, when does a person become accountable to God? Mm Mm-hmm. And how should a parent or other adult handle a situation when a very small child, obviously too young, to uh, make an, uh, you know, a conscious decision to commit to the Lord? How, how do you deal with that? Yeah. A lot of parents, I think almost all parents have to deal with that at some point. 
And so that's something we want to discuss, some ideas how parents can deal with that question. Um, and then finally, what about rebaptism? You know, from time to time we hear people who are baptized over again. Yes. Baptized a second time. Uh, concerning that sort of rebaptism, is it ever justified? And if so, what would be some of the things that might lead a person to or even serve as a requirement, a necessity, a person would need to be baptized a second time? All right. Well, those are good questions, and we'll look forward to those tonight and your participation. If you'd like to pose another question about baptism, we'll welcome that as well at 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Did you see in the news that uh, there's a couple in Memphis that are there in a squabble over the baptism of their children? I did. Uh, there's a court battle over it. I yeah, think. I think she may do jail time. The woman baptized her children, had her, or had her children baptized, and the father didn't want it done. Isn't that the I think so, yeah. Yeah, so... Again, uh, there's uh, uh, a lot of uh, controversy. Yes. Uh, it's even in it's even in the secular news, as you point out from time to time. We hear about it, so uh, it's something we want to discuss on the program tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Please join in the discussion. The, the first question you ask are what things are absolutely essential, and guess uh, eight sixty four kicks off the discussion with uh, maybe the mode uh, being critical. Guest 864 uh, references the Greek word baptizo, which is the word that is translated baptize. And uh, that word, as the, get, the uh, listener suggests, uh, means uh, to baptize. Primarily a frequentive form of uh, bapto, to dip, was used among the Greeks to signify the dyeing of a garment or the drawing of water by dipping a vessel into another, drawing of wine by dipping the cup into the bowl. Right. And so uh, the That's Greek word means to dip. That's my understanding, too. It means to dip or to plunge. And and you know what's interesting, Jacob, is that I really don't think there's any disagreement among those who have studied the subject. Uh, whether they whether they believe that immersion for baptism is, is, is essential, whether that's what we ought to do exclusively or not, even those who don't practice immersion for baptism I don't think there are any who dispute that that's what the word means and that's what early Christians did. Okay. I, I was looking, just as the program started, I was looking for a quote from John Calvin and I found it. Here's what he said. Uh, this is John Calvin. He says, Whether the person baptized is to be wholly immersed or whether he is only to be sprinkled with water is not of the least consequence. He said, it doesn't matter to me. Now, this is from his work called Institutes, Volume 2, page 524. He go, but he goes on to say, uh, it is not the least consequence. Churches should be at liberty to adopt either, according to the diversity of climates. But, now, he said, in other words, it doesn't matter to me. You, if you want to be sprinkled or immersed, churches should decide what they like about it. That's what he said. Although, it is evident that the term baptized means to immerse, and that this was the form used by the primitive church. Do you get that? Monty, what are you going to adopt? Uh, what, uh, what climate is going to be uh, important to you as you uh, adopt uh, a form of baptism? According to what John Calvin has admitted, which, what form are you going to accept? I would think if we was in a climate maybe as cold as in Antarctica or as warm as the equator, we ought to do what they did in the first century, and if the word means immersed, then that's what we ought to do. That's yeah, what uh, I would adopt. Whoever, whoever, whoever found in the scriptures where climate was a consideration as to which command you obey and which ones you don't—that's just that's just ludicrous. 
But but even Calvin, who said, I don't care. doesn't matter to me. But I do know that that's what they did in the first century. Now, the question would be, if that's what they did under the direction and leadership of the inspired apostles, why would we think that we could be at liberty to change that? Well, why would we I mean, would we apply that to other things? For instance, the elements of the Lord's Supper, and uh, we would write some dissertation. I know. I, no, there's no, no doubt in my here, mind. Here's John Calvin. Yeah. I have no doubt that they used unleavened bread and fruit. And the body. Greek word means unleavened bread. But. But whatever you want to use. If you want pizza, whatever do is the, it. the modern cuisine in your area. Yeah, that's just, just. I mean, that if if you're going to adopt that philosophy. There's literally no stopping place. I mean, you could justify anything and everything right. in the name of worship and religion. 877-381-4567. So I think guest 864 has started us off on a good note. I mean, he says the word means to immerse, and so therefore one of the necessities is immersion. Let's talk. I ask you, what things don't matter? Uh, and I think that we could probably come up with several things that don't matter. We've got a couple of emails. One's from Chris in Atlanta. Yep. Uh, he says things that don't matter. You don't have to understand all the Bible. If that were a prerequisite, then no one would be saved. As far as logistics, it does not matter if you're baptized in a pool, river, lake, or baptistry, as long as you can be fully immersed. So, Chris says a non-essential is that you have complete, full understanding of the Scripture. And I would agree with him. As he said, if that's necessary, then none of us can make it, because we're all still learning. And there are all things. every one of us has things... Uh, that we still need to study, assimilate, uh, properly understand, and so forth. You know, so the uh, the people who were saved on the day of Pentecost had heard one sermon. They didn't. I mean, they, and they, there wasn't the whole Bible to understand yet. Yeah, that's right. So. Uh, I would agree with him also about it, it, it can be in a in a pool, a river, or lake. We know that they use different places in New Testament times. We know that many were baptized in the Jordan River. But in Acts chapter 8, when Philip baptized the eunuch, they were in a desert place near Gaza, but there was water there. And so we don't know whether it was a, an oasis, a pond, a pool, whatever, uh, but it does say they went down both into the water and Philip baptized him, Acts chapter 8, verse 38. So the place, the you know, the, a river, a lake, a pond, a pool, uh, a baptistry, if I realize baptistry as most of us have in our buildings, uh, I think is not essential. Those things are not critical. Just so long as Chris says that you can be immersed, that there's enough water for immersion. All right, we have another Chris. He's, this is Chris is from the UK, and uh, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but one of the it's it's an impressive email. But one of the most impressive things about it is at the very last line it says uh, sent from his iPhone. Chapter three page email with his uh, I guess with his thumbs. Wow. Yeah. So uh, his uh, his response here are things that are not critical to the outcome. Where a person is immersed in water does not matter. It does not matter if the waters used are a public swimming pool, a private spa, or a canal. It does not matter if the waters of a denomination's church building are used, or if the building used by a sound church is uh, used. How will we know who is sound and who is not sound by a church directory by asking a series of questions? In relation to Acts 19... Hey, hang on to that just for a minute, okay. because I think I, I want to I stress the point that he's making there, uh, the baptizer. Or the uh, okay, think, think about this for a minute. We've commented about this in the Virtual Bible Study before. If, if when I'm... In other words, I, I baptized you, Jacob. Right. If, in order for your baptism to be valid, if you have to know for sure that I am a faithful person... Right. Well, think about that. 
Well, before you could know that I'm faithful, you'd have to know that about the guy who baptized me. Yes. And then you'd, you'd have to know about the guy who baptized him before that. Right. And you'd have to be able to draw an unbroken chain of succession all the way back to the, to the apostles in the first century, which, of course, is impossible. And so I think Chris is right that we can't put any obligation or requirement upon the baptizer. My salvation is not dependent upon the guy who baptized me. Right. And you you can read the New Testament through, and you find absolutely no stipulations as to the requirements of the person who does the baptizing. I would argue, and some I'm probably going out of limb here, somebody might differ with me, I, the, the person who baptized you wouldn't even necessarily have to be a Christian. Let's say you're on a desert island. Two guys are on a desert island. They have nothing, but they did they did find a Bible that washed up on shore with them. They're reading it. They realize they need to be baptized. One of them says, you baptize me and I'll baptize you. The first one who baptized the other guy, he hadn't been baptized. I, I think it'd still be valid because the New Testament makes no requirement of stipulation upon the one who does the baptizing. All right. The, those, those desert island uh, scenarios can get you into trouble, but... Uh... I see your I see your point, uh, Monty. You know the Apostle Paul when he was talking about and there was some divisions and arguments over well I'm a Paul I'm of Apollos and I'm of this other one whatnot. Uh, he made the comment that he was glad that he'd baptized only a very small number of them and he named off two or three or four I forget whatever. But uh, so whoever else was there and listening to his teaching and feeling compelled to be baptized. Paul had, didn't have anything to do with it. And he didn't specify one of the other faithful sound brethren that was there with me baptized them. He just said that they were baptized. So if it mattered who did it or a qualification for who done the baptizing, he would have surely mentioned it. But and since he didn't and was specific to say, I didn't do it, that you know that he didn't do it, so it can't matter a whole lot. And you'd think if it, if it did matter, he would have said, you guys who were baptized me, you're, you're in better shape than those of you who were baptized by the other guy. But he never said that. It didn't matter. You stopped me a little prematurely because you guys are making some of the points that uh, that Chris goes on to make. He says in relation to Acts 19, it is not an issue about the baptizer. Paul does not ask who baptized you. This may have been an assumption uh, when the problem is presented to Paul. We may have uh, expected Paul to say, you have not heard of the Holy Spirit who baptized you, but the person doing the baptism is not at, all, at, all, at, the, at issue. It cannot matter who is the one doing the baptism. Otherwise, we... Uh, must trace the baptizers all the way back to the apostles. We would need to have a family tree showing how the person who baptized the baptizer was a true Christian and how the person who baptized the baptizer who baptized the baptizer was a true Christian and so on. Wow, that could get you in trouble. And uh, the relations, or the, uh, the religious and spiritual ben- uh, beliefs of the baptizer are not important, not the words said at the baptism. Okay, but- stop there. <laughs> Make another point. I, I, I would agree with him again. There are some religious groups who teach that there's a necessary formula of words that yes. must be said over the person who's being baptized. And again, I believe that as you study the New Testament, of course we have the record of thousands of people who were baptized in, in the New Testament, and you can't find a, a uniform code of words that were said over any of them. Again, that would make my salvation dependent upon the fact that the guy who did it knew the code and said the words exactly right. God's not going to make my salvation contingent upon that. And that, and in the New Testament, it, it's, it cannot be established that there's any code of words. Chris goes on and says, Paul does not ask what was said during the baptism. There are some today trying to make a distinction between being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. There's not a set formula of words to be said at baptism, else such a formula would have been commanded by our Lord and his apostles. 
Right. So uh, I think that's a good stopping point. We'll get uh, Chris has got more comments. Yeah. The things that are not essential, we can take those after. If there was the break. a set of words, they would have been in Greek, and none of us are speaking Greek. There you go. Well, that's a good point. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a break, and we'll get your thoughts on the other side. If you're not signed in the chat room tonight, as many are not signed in, it's very simple to do. Why not sign in there and join in the discussion? Or, better yet, give us a call during this break and be ready to go on the other side. 877-381-4567. We'll be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A recent survey by the Barna Research Group suggests that nearly 4 in 10, that's 37% of unchurched Americans, avoid attending church services because of painful past experiences with the church or the people in the church, including Christians treating other Christians poorly, Christians having holier-than-thou attitudes, believers talking more than they listen, Christians refusing to get involved in the lives of the unchurched, and Christians saying they believe but do not attend church. That information is from the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Titus 2 verse 10, showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Four five six seven. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight. We're going to go fast because we've got a lot of material. As we talk about baptism, some things that are not essential, we'll continue with Chris's email. Notice what Chris says. He says, baptism is not about the water, which is Peter's point in 1 Peter 3.21. It is not about being sure you got wet. The baptism is simply an external act, just as much as singing or partaking of the Lord's Supper. What is important is not only the act, but our hearts during the act. What we believe during the act is very important. What our hearts are doing while we sing is crucial to acceptable worship. We are told to sing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. What we are thinking in our hearts while we partake of the Lord's Supper is very important. This is why Paul commanded that we examine ourselves to ensure we partake in a worthy manner. In the same way, it is what we believe in our hearts when we are baptized that is important. It is not the act itself. Without the heart and proper faith, baptism is just an external act that is meaningless. We must believe that we are asking God to take away our sins and that we are and they are being removed in baptism. We have to be have a repentant, submissive heart when we are baptized. The other things we discuss do not matter, but our faith and our belief concerning our baptism absolutely matters. I believe this is a problem with the disciples in Acts 19. They did not believe their sins were being removed by the blood of Christ. They believe their sins would be removed in the future when the Messiah came. Okay. And he is right about our heart mattering, but I, if he is, if he's discounting the fact that what the, act, the external act matters and is significant, then I would disagree with that. Well, when he said that the, it's not about the water, I think what he's saying is it's it's not just an outward physical act. Okay. I think that's the thing he's stressing. I would agree with him about that. If if your heart's not in it, in other words, if you're not obeying from that heart, that form of doctrine delivered to you, which is 
Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. You're not obeying from the heart that form of doctrine. Then it doesn't matter. If, if all it means, if, if all that mattered is that you got dipped in a pond of water, then we could go out and forcibly cause people to be baptized. If, even if their hearts weren't in it, it might save them. No, we know that's not right. And so I would agree with them. It's not solely about the water. It's about engaging in that act with spirit, a right heart. Spirit and truth. Right. Okay. So, uh, real quickly, summary, we, we said the place where you're baptized doesn't matter. The person who baptizes you doesn't matter. The words that are spoken over you don't matter. What does matter, I think, as Chris has suggested in his email, is you got to know what you're doing. Remember in the Great Commission, Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so they were to be taught and then baptized. And we see that pattern throughout Acts. All through. Nobody was baptized who didn't first receive instruction Mm -hmm. concerning what they should do. So you have to know what you're doing. You have to have the right motive of heart. We mentioned already Romans 6, 17. You have obeyed from the heart that that form of doctrine that was delivered to you. So you have to have the right motive. It has to be from the heart. It has to be based upon your faith and, and confidence in the Lord and his promises. There are certain prerequisites. We know that you have to be willing to confess your faith in Christ before right. baptism. Romans 10, 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Um, you have to uh, be willing to repent prior to baptism. In Acts 2.38, when the people on Pentecost asked Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? They were told, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If a person's unwilling to repent, then being baptized a dozen times wouldn't make a difference. Jesus said in Luke 13.3, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so repentance, a turning from sin, is necessary. I can't be baptized... I'm a, I'm a I'm a bank robber and I intend to continue robbing banks, but I want to be baptized so I'll be saved when I die. It won't it won't work. Yes, eight sixty four says, "Why would you do that? It would be like working at a restaurant and saying I would never eat there." Yeah, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to confess Christ or I don't want to repent yeah. like He wants me to. And then and then of course, as we've already pointed out, baptism has to be by immersion in water. Uh, again, for all those who think it could be substituted by sprinkling or pouring. Uh, there's just no biblical basis for that. That's been one of the great controversies about baptism through the through the centuries. Uh, but I think it's clear that, and and even we quoted John Calvin, who said, "I agree." In the first century, that it was exclusively by immersion. Christians were baptized by immersion. That's what we should do. I mean, again. If you're going to take liberty with that, then there's nothing that you can't change. Back to Chris in the U.K., it does matter. He says if one is baptized in, in some fashion by immersion, true baptism reflects the candidate's understanding that this ordinance uh, pictures the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The sinner is buried in and raised from water. He cross-references Romans 6, 3-4, Colossians 2:12. Just as the Lord was buried and then raised from the dead. you got that argument to use as well when you want to prove that it's immersion. You don't have to just stand on the Greek definition. You also have uh, the imagery Romans, that Paul Romans uses. Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Colossians two twelve calls it a burial. A barrel. Okay. What do you do when you bury someone? You don't just sprinkle some dirt on them. Pour a little dirt you, on them. You no. cover them up. True baptism validates one's faith in the death and resurrection events. Being sprinkled with water or having water poured upon the head is no baptism at all, and such, and such substitutes are without sanction in the New Testament 
They are post-apostolic innovations. I agree. Amen. And one is baptized with it being an act having been uh, accompanied by genuine repentance. Such a, uh, such a procedure uh, si- uh, similarly else would be ineffectual. I once heard about a man who emerged from the baptismal pool, turned to his wife and said, I hope you're satisfied. No baptism which lacks the proper motive and other prerequisites yeah. can have validity I, you know, I, in the divine scheme I don't know where Chris saw that. I saw that same example referenced. Uh, a, a fellow said, I knew of a man, when he came out of the water of baptism, he looked at his wife and I hope you're satisfied now. Well, what was his motive right. in being baptized? To please his wife, right. to, keep, to keep her from nagging him. But it wasn't to obey the Lord, obviously, and therefore it didn't do any good. It just Wrong got motive. Okay. And one is baptized on a sound faith basis, or this ritual, for that is all it would be, would be of no avail. One might feel, for instance, that Jesus was a good man, perhaps even a perfect man, as the Jehovah's Witnesses allege, but deny that Christ is the Son of God, that is deity, and yet for various other reasons, desire baptism. No baptism grounded upon such spurious faith could be accounted as genuine. If one has yielded to baptism for some purpose other than that which is supplied in, by inspired teaching, that uh, he, in reality, is doing it for uh, obeying the Lord, then it is futile. Baptism is never defined as an outward sign of an inward grace. We agree. It is not a mere representation of redemption for those already uh, received. And uh, he goes on. The purpose of the act is for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38, to have sins washed away, Acts 22.16, to put the candidate into Christ, Romans 6, 3-4, Galatians 3.26-27, or into the body, 1 Corinthians 12.13. At which point he is saved, Mark 16, 16, 1 Peter 3, 21. The common resistance to the biblical proposition, namely that baptism is a preliminary to salvation, constitutes a bold rejection of the plain testimony of Scripture. One cannot be immersed for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38, if he believes his sins have already been remitted. A person's soul is too valuable, the plan is too simple, and the remedy too easy to access for a person to gamble, hoping that the former act or grace or ritual will be all right in spite of the deficiencies associated therewith. Finally, we must accept the importance of baptism. If baptism is optional, then why does it make any sense for these disciples to be baptized again? If faith alone is sufficient, then baptism should not have been performed. We see again in the book of Acts that baptism is the method God uses to unite us in the death and resurrection of Jesus to wash our sins away. Agree with Chris. Appreciate those comments. Good, very good. Good, That's a good good, comment. point he makes there about the disciples who had to be rebaptized. They already believed as obvious. Why, why go through the problem? Exactly. Exactly okay. right. Uh, real quickly, uh, and, and we're going to wrap this up here. We're just ready to come to our midway break, and we're going to wrap this up as to what's necessary and what's not necessary about scriptural baptism. Chris in Atlanta says, it is essential that you believe in God and realize that all have sinned. Next, you must know that God provided a way of getting a, a way out of getting what we deserve by sending his son as a sacrifice in our place. You must be willing to repent and confess. We must understand the above steps as a necessary part of salvation, but also understand that baptism is also necessary. This is the way that we come in contact with Jesus' blood by water baptism. Baptism is by complete immersion. So I think we've really, I I hope that those who are listening, whether live or in the archives, will agree. Uh, That's not that difficult to decipher. The Bible teaching on the proper mode and method of baptism is is easy to understand. You don't, as, you know, you don't have to. As, what do they say, Jacob? You don't have to have a, a degree in rocket surgery. Yeah, uh, it's, not that, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Or brain surgery or anything else. Rocket science or brain surgery 
or combine them both if you want. You don't, you, anybody can understand, I think, these basic simple truths about what one must do in order to be saved and the act of baptism and its role in that process. One of the things we should comment about just before we go to break, I think, Jacob, we're often misrepresented as suggesting that baptism is more important than anything else. And, and we're not saying that. No. But we are saying it's important. It's important. As the two Chris's have shown us in their email. It's important. It's necessary. But other things are necessary, too. It is a part of God's plan and, and one of the conditions that he places upon us receiving the gift of salvation. All right. We're looking forward to hearing from you. We're going to take a break. When get... we come back, we're going to talk about baptism of really young children. We're going to talk about the so-called age of accountability. And we're going to talk about get some suggestions. We want our listeners to participate with us here. What do you do when a really young child, one that's obviously too young to be baptized, what do you do when they start talking about wanting to be baptized? Mm. Now that's going to be an interesting discussion. We'll look forward to hearing from you on that. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue the discussion right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. At a recent news conference, which followed the announcement of his new multi-million dollar contract with the professional sports team, the just-signed athlete promised the fans that he was now ready to get busy and, quote, earn every bit of my salary. Think about that for just a minute. He now makes more in a single game than many people make in several years of hard work. And while we certainly appreciate sports and professional athletes, we must be reminded that this is only a game. Professional athletes are being paid outrageous sums of money to play games. It's really very hard to reconcile the notion of playing a game with earning millions per year. Yes, these athletes will receive the money, but we sure hope they'll learn to be careful how they use the word earn around folks who really have to work for their money. Now to make the spiritual application, let us consider our souls and eternity. God in His great grace has made salvation available to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He makes forgiveness and salvation possible for those who will humbly submit to His will and heaven awaits for the faithful in eternity. While all these wonderful provisions are true, let us never imagine that we earn them. Salvation does not come by meritorious works. Jesus taught that when we have, quote, done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Luke 17, verse 10. If you want to know what we earn, look at Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. Eternal death is what we earn. Are you sure you want what you've earned? Salvation, on the other hand, is God's gift. We receive that gift by meeting the conditions of pardon that he has revealed in his word. God's blessings are far more precious than an athlete's multi-million dollar salary, but we won't earn them. Thanks be to God for his amazing grace and mercy. Let's constantly remember our debt to him and rejoice in what he has made possible for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? A virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight as we talk about baptism. And, Monty, you've been quiet so far. Uh, what are your the comments so far? Well, as the article we just read was talking about, the b- baptism is entirely too important for us to monkey around with substituting, sprinkling, or pouring, or any other thing. 
And we know that first century Christians were immersed in water and that they were Christians. The Bible clearly calls them that they were Christians. And so if we want to be what they were, then let's do what they did and we'll be what they were. And we know they were immersed the eternal consequences are just too important to try to do anything else. Yeah, yeah. you know, if if, if, if if Acts 2, verse 38 said, in order to have your sins remitted, you needed to climb Mount Everest, I can see maybe you know, picking a fight with that. But when it's being immersed, I mean, wh- why 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 go to the trouble of arguing it? You, you spend, it's more trouble, trouble to argue it than it is to just comply. It's too simple. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't understand. I don't know why, I don't know why people for centuries have been fighting that thing. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't make sense. All right, so we're moving to our second question concerning the baptism of young children. When does a person become accountable, and how should you handle a situation if you've got a child that's just clearly too young, but they start talking about wanting to be baptized? Well, uh, I, one of the things we got to point out is that there's going to be a difference with different children. Di- children are going to mature at different times. They're going to have different intellectual capacities. They're going to have more and less educational background and so forth. So there's going to be some variety. The Bible never specifies a specific age when a person should become baptized. Uh, what we do need to remember is that bapti- being baptized and all that it implies, of course, it, Im- it implies a, a commitment, a lifetime commitment to the Lord to serve him. Uh, we're, we're asking children to make a very important decision. And so if, if, if I've got a seven, eight-year-old child, and they're talking about wanting to be baptized, I, I need to try to hold that back a little bit because realistically, uh, how, how could someone that young be informed enough, mature enough, uh, sophisticated enough to be making a commitment that they're going to have to live with for the rest of their life? Uh, I, I heard, I, I saw an interesting comment uh, uh, concerning the, the parallel of baptism with marriage. The New Testament symbolically represents our union with Christ as a marriage. Romans 7, verse 4, Ephesians 5, 22, and verses following. Uh, now, think about that. This is like a spiritual marriage. Becoming a Christian is like a spiritual marriage right. to the Lord. It is. What if you had a seven, seven or eight-year-old child and they said, I want to get married. Uh, you know, little Bobby says, I want to get married to Sally. Are we going to say, well, he wants to do it, and uh, we sure don't want to discourage him because he might come around later then and decide he doesn't want to get married. If we if we don't let him do it now, when when he gets older, he may have no interest in that, and uh, therefore we better let him do it just so he won't get discouraged. No, we're not going to get we're not going to let him get married when he's seven eight years old. He's not old enough to be making that decision. He's not mature enough to be able to commit to that sort of a thing. We all understand that. Why wouldn't we use the same reasoning about a very young child? Who start, it, it, because it is typical. First time, Jacob, the first time your sister talked to me about wanting to be baptized, she couldn't even say the word. <laughs> she said, I want to be baptized. <laughs> she didn't even know how to say baptized correctly. Uh, little children are going to do that. They're going to see others be baptized. They're going to hear some of the things that we say when we're warning accountable people as to what could happen if they don't decide to be baptized and obey the Lord. So we're going to have to be prepared to work with them on that. But but very young children are not old enough, not mature enough, not capable of making a lifetime commitment to the Lord. All right, good comments. Uh, Chris in uh, Georgia suggests some things that uh, you would use 
to determine if a child is accountable. A young person becomes accountable when they can understand about sin, realize they are in sin, and understand about Jesus and the implications of his sacrifice. All right. I think that's right. Uh, for young for young children, it's more than just being able to recite back some answers. Because a lot of times, especially a very precocious child. At a a very early, who? Precocious. Oh, wow. Do they have medicine for that? Yeah. They'll be able to recite back certain answers about baptism way right. before they're of an age to be really considering to right. do that. And so just being able to recite back a few answered questions is not necessarily right. Uh, someone else has pointed out that that a person is not amenable to the gospel of Christ who's incapable of assuming the responsibilities connected with that conversion. Uh, for instance, think about this. This is kind of interesting. I never thought about this, but someone said this. Jesus taught that those who wish to follow him must be willing to separate from loved ones, even parents, if necessary. He must be daring enough to forfeit his own life should it come to that. For instance, Revelation 2, verse 10. How could a small child possibly be held accountable to such a rigorous standard as that? Pretty good question. It is. And so, in other words, all this is saying, we're asking, when we ask someone to make a commitment to the Lord, we're asking them to make a very serious commitment. They've got to be old enough to understand, at least significantly understand, the implications of what they're committing themselves to. Uh, yeah, but could, would you expect a new convert that may be 50 years old to be willing to die? And I think some of that's going to come with some yeah with some growth with spiritual growth, right? Yeah, but a 50 year old would be more would be a lot more able to comprehend that you know the, the, the idea is counting the cost. You've got to count the cost. And I uh, see Monty squirming. Squirm okay, Monty, you got it. I was 23 when I got married. We talked about comparing baptism as a spiritual marriage to Jesus, the Bible does. And I would think that a 20, the average 23-year-old person, which I would put myself at average or maybe slightly below, <laughs> they're not, they don't understand all the implications of the, of the of marriage that they just entered into. Yeah. And I'm 50 now. I've been married 27 years. And I don't necessarily know that I understand. You're still it, learning at that because. But you understood at twenty. Together. But at twenty-three, Monty, you understood a lot more about it than you would have when you were seven or eight. Yeah. But and so I, there's the a point I'm getting at is yeah. there's a lot of people that you, we, we say, well, they're very young, they can't understand, and I'm not disagreeing with that. But there's a lot of supposedly mature adults that don't understand and don't comprehend. And there's some things that, as you talked about, making the being willing to sacrifice our lives for Christ. Uh, we may not, when we're new converts at whatever age, have matured spiritually to the point that we'd be willing to do that. But no. as we get further along, we would. So we're but, going to grow into anything. Yeah. But you, but, and I agree with you, Monty. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to draw a line. But I'm saying that, that a very young child is not able to comprehend that they're not able to do what Jesus said when He said you got to count the cost before you commit to Him. Right. And so they, they got to be old enough to to understand the at least significantly understand the level of commitment they're they're making. They gotta do some cost counting. I don't think a seven or eight year old child is able to count the cost at all. No, but I, I they they want to be they want to be baptized uh, uh, maybe because their friends have been baptized yeah. or they saw someone else get baptized. Yeah. And and 
that's not reason enough. But I, but I think we have to be careful about, as Monty said, maybe drawing the same line as if you're not ready to enter into a spiritual marriage until you're in, ready to enter a physical marriage, because I don't think that's valid. I think we finally got them stirred up in the chat room, Jay. Okay, we're now we're some, going. Okay. we got some comments going in there. Okay. Uh, oh, I've been missing those. I'm, I need to uh, scroll down. Philip asked the uh, Sosthenes says, in Acts 8.30, Philip asked the Ethiopian, Understandest thou what thou readest? A baby cannot understand the gospel plan. Uh, Guest 18 said, I thought it was when you were an adult is when you uh, needed to uh, be responsible uh, and accountable for obeying the gospel. Yeah, Guest 864 says, we have to be on guard about the impressionability of young people to succumb to peer pressure. I think that's right. Uh, Sharon says, I was 12 and I didn't comprehend dying. Does this mean I wasn't ready? Sorry, she says, wasn't willing to die for Christ. Or wasn't, she didn't understand she needed to be willing to die for Christ. Well, I'm not saying that that's an absolute requirement, but I, I am saying that you have to understand that you're making a commitment that's going to cost you something. And Sharon, I, I, would, I would argue that you surely knew that you were committing yourself to do something for the Lord. Okay. Uh, that, uh, that's the idea. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I'm not sure I understand the full level of commitment that's expected of me even to this day. But I, I no. think I got to understand some of it. No, because we've never been challenged with death. Right. And so I, yeah, I, don't, I haven't even got anywhere close. So I don't know that I could say that I fully understand what that would mean. Or, we would like to think we understand yeah, it, but on paper, having, maybe. and have, and maybe at some intellectual level we might do. But as far as really really grasping what it means to say I'm willing to die for Jesus when nobody's held a gun to our head or threatened to saw our head off with a butcher knife for confessing Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Guest 18 was 13. Uh, Guest 864 says my parents, who are not Christians, wouldn't wouldn't let me, so I waited for the Sunday after my 18th birthday. So, nobody. Uh, let me be clear. I, I'm arguing uh, against children 6, 7, 8 years old being mature enough to make the decision that's something that that's something that every parent's going to have to help their children work through but i am not uh, i am not afraid of saying if i don't let them do it at seven they may never come around and want to do it again therefore i got to let them do it at seven right that's wrong thinking if 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 you're teaching and training if they have a level of love and commitment and devotion to the lord then they're not going to be just because you told them at seven you didn't think they were ready yet. That's not going to keep them from wanting to do it when they do reach an age where they can make a reasonable decision to serve the Lord. Okay. I, I just think that's mistaken, a, a mistaken worry, uh, an unnecessary concern. If I don't let him be baptized when he's seven, because he's been talking about it, he's seven years old, he's been talking about it. If I don't let him be baptized, I'm afraid when he's fifteen or eighteen, he'll lose interest and won't want to be. Well. No, he's not going to lose interest if I keep teaching and training him in the ways of the Lord. Okay. All right. Uh, you want to get into the next question or you want to go to our break? Uh, well, uh, How should a parent or other adult handle a situation with a small child ask about being baptized? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's go to our break. We'll talk about that when we get back. When we get back, we've got to go fast. We're going to talk, we want to talk about that. We also want to talk about rebaptism. Is it ever justified? And if so, what are some things that might lead to one wanting to be uh, rebaptized? Okay. All right, don't go anywhere. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Here are some quotes worth pondering. You can't build a reputation on what you're intending to do. A good name, like goodwill, is got by many actions, but can be lost by just one act. 
A hero is an ordinary individual who finds strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. Few things are impossible to diligence and skill. Great works are performed not by strength, but by perseverance. Man, I wish I'd said that. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in Him for salvation by doing what He says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we are back on the program tonight. We appreciate you for joining us again as we talk about questions for baptism. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. If you've never visited our website, it is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You can find out more about us by visiting that site. Or if you're in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we'd welcome you to come and visit with us at your earliest opportunity. Questions about baptism. What about the child who wants to be baptized? Here's, a, here's an interesting story. A little boy once responded to the invitation at the conclusion of a church service. In his conversation with the minister, he said he wanted to be baptized. And also, he wanted to ask Jesus for a new pair of roller skates. <laughs> the minister put his arm around the little fella, commended him for his sincerity, and told him that they would study more as he grew a bit older. The child was perfectly happy with that recommendation. He said, we should not be fearful of lovingly restraining immature children from making the serious mistake of going through the motions of something they neither need nor truly understand. That's true. Uh, that reminds me of a, a story I heard years ago about a parent. Uh, their little their little kid came to him and and said, "He said, Daddy, where did I come from?" And the daddy got all red in the face and just couldn't hardly speak. And he stuttered through several mumbled explanations that the kid couldn't understand about the so-called birds and the bees. And uh, after the end of about fifteen minutes of him trying to to beat around the bush on that touchy subject. He said, now, son, does that help you? And the little boy said, well, I guess it does, he said. Uh, Well, the dad said, well, why did you ask? And he said, well, I just wondered because Tommy next door said he was from Detroit. I just wondered where I came from. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we're trying to answer questions that hadn't been asked, you know, and, and and we get way too involved and too technical, and we should go with the simpler approach sometimes, I think. All right. Well, let us know your thoughts. How do you how do you handle a child who wants to be baptized? Chris in Georgia says this is a very personal matter. 
that has no one-size-fits-all matter answer. The parent should be able to gauge if a child is ready for baptism. My children ask about it at a very early age because we made it a point that they be present when people were being baptized. While they were too young, we used it as a teaching opportunity. Uh, they were too young to fully understand, but we planted the seed. My oldest saw a couple of her friends baptized and asked us if she could be, but we knew she was still too young and did not fully understand. That was uh, very difficult to make her understand, but as time went on, she did understand. I am happy to say that she later was ready and was willingly baptized. What an amazing thing for a father when he can baptize one of his children. I think that's right. Uh, Guest 864 in the chat room says, if they're not ready, that could be harmful, as harmful as they could think something was valid, which wasn't. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm having trouble putting together what Chris in the UK said. In a way... Though remembering that they are a child, treat them like an adult. And if they would satisfy you as if they were an adult, they should be baptized. Then how does the fact that they're a child change that? Well, so he's saying maybe don't let the fact that they're your child cloud your vision. Maybe you know if they're if they're responsibly answering questions as and an explaining adult, themselves yeah. as an adult would, then treat them as an adult. I think that's reasonable. Okay. All right. So, that's a touchy question. Parents are going to come run into that. Uh, I guess, bottom line, what I would say is, you know, we're asking them to make a very important, the most important decision of life. You know, they need to be old enough to understand the, the consequence of that decision and the commitment level they're making. And don't be afraid as parents to put them off if you yourself feel very seriously that they are not really ready. Putting them off, putting off... Uh, you know, is not going to discourage them from obeying later if you continue to do your job well as a parent, bringing up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. They're going to come back, and they're going to, as they grow, they're going to come back again and again, until they're satisfied and you're satisfied that they're ready. I, I, an answer that I've heard many times through the years is, a child is old enough to be baptized when they don't have to ask permission of somebody else before they do. Mm-hmm. And you know, at some point, a kid's going to say, "I'm, I'm going to be baptized. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you." Yeah. And and that that's probably when they've reached a point where they understand what they're doing. All right, good good comments there. Uh, we look forward to your questions, your answers to the next question concerning rebaptism. Is it ever justified? Christian Atlanta says yes. Christian Atlanta. Three letters. He's done. That's it. That's all he said. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chris in the UK didn't answer that, yeah. uh, uh, but I got an answer from uh, uh, Daniel in Vermont who says. Uh, is it ever necessary? Is rebaptism ever justified? If I can get this thing to work right, wait a minute. Where did that go? There, oh, it there, disappeared. There. He says yes, it is necessary sometimes. If it if baptism was done for the wrong reason, such as being baptized as an infant or not understanding why you were baptized in the first place, but is rebaptism required when one comes from another denomination, seeing what the truth is by studying further into God's word? But the person understood in the first place why they were being baptized and found out by reading more that the church they attended was scriptural, but then find a scriptural, was not scriptural, I think, but then find a scriptural church. Would that qualify them to need to be rebaptized, or does it depend on their knowledge? Uh, if a teenager knew and grew up in a faithful family of Christians was baptized but didn't act like a Christian, would this require them to be need to be baptized again? In answer to his question, I don't think you, if you've been scripturally baptized, you don't ever need to be baptized again. If you've been scripturally baptized. Right. Uh, and of course, that all goes to the kind of things that we were saying earlier. You'd have to have the right motive. Uh, you'd have to have the right 
sincerity of heart. You'd have to have the right knowledge. But if you entered into baptism properly the first time, you won't ever need to be baptized again. Okay. Uh, however, uh, some people haven't been properly baptized. For, uh, uh, and yet, here, here's an interesting quote from the 1996 General Conference of the United Methodist Church. They held convention in Denver, Colorado, and they debated the, the manner of rebaptism. The matter of rebaptism. A position paper issued by the conference declared that Methodists who were baptized as infants should never be baptized again. The document explicitly stated, quote, whether a baptized infant grows up to be a professing Christian or not, that baptism stands valid. Yikes. So I think the Methodists are wrong about that. I think if you were baptized as an infant, you didn't know what you were doing, and therefore you would need to be baptized. In fact, again. you could, yeah, right. Uh, Chris in Georgia says, sometimes a person is baptized in order to join a denominational group and consequently are not being baptized for remission of sins. They would need to be baptized again once they learn the truth. Others are baptized as an infant or small child, and that is uh, also not a proper baptism and requires rebaptism. A third situation is if someone was baptized for the wrong reason. A fourth if is someone who was baptized incorrectly, such as sprinkling. I was someone who fell into all four categories. I was sprinkled in the Methodist church as a child, later was baptized in the Baptist church after high school. Thankfully, I met my wife when I was in college, and I was baptized uh, by a preacher, but unfortunately was doing it more for my wife. I didn't fully believe it was necessary. Finally, I understood the truth and was baptized into the church. Yeah, a very interesting story, Chris. Uh, Chris makes a note here. He's lost his job, and appreciate prayers as he's looking for a new one. All right. We will remember you, Chris, and hope that something good comes down to Pike real quick. Uh, um, the, the question, back to Daniel's question in email from Vermont, what about somebody who was baptized in a, in a church that, that and he found out later that that church is not sound? In other words, they're not faithfully following the word of God. Would he, and then he found a church that was faithful. Would he need to be baptized again? I, I think that depends. Right. I, I, you know, for instance, I, through the years I have studied with people who came out of the Baptist church. Most Baptist churches do not teach baptism for the remission of sins. They baptize people, but they tell people they were saved when they believed, and they're baptized later just to show that they've been right. saved. That's what most Baptists, not all, but that's what most Baptists teach. I've, had, I've studied with people who came out of that background, and when it came to the point of, uh, you know, what, should I be baptized again? They said, well, I've been baptized already. My argument is they didn't understand the reason why they were being baptized in the Baptist Church. The Baptist Church doesn't teach the truth on that subject. Uh, I've had I've had some of those people argue with me. No, I knew. And my question to them is, how did you know? People have a tendency to reconstruct history in that matter. Oh, I knew. The reason why they say they know is because they now know, and they try to they try to time warp that back to themselves in a previous time when I don't think they did know. I've even had occasion where we said, I've said, let's call the Baptist preacher who baptized you and ask if he baptized you for the remission of sins. And people, some are, have been unwilling to make that call. Others have, and the Baptist preacher said, no, I didn't baptize you for the remission of sins. I baptized you as an outward sign of an inward grace. Yeah. And even then, some people are unwilling to be baptized again. To me... If there's any question in your mind at all about the validity of your baptism, why would you hesitate? It's about a 10 or 15 minute process from start to finish. It's not difficult to do. And 
why would you take a chance? Remove all doubt in regards to that. Okay. Uh, and uh, Chris in uh, the U.K. says, the doctrine, if there is one, uh, is reliant, as far as I can see, on one passage, that being Acts 19. The case clearly demonstrates that in order for one's baptism to be valid, accurate teaching must precede the right. Otherwise, it is a, but a meaningless exercise and not based on faith, Romans 10:17. Genuine baptism is needed only one time in a person's life. Once a person has been baptized, according to the full a complement of scriptural instructions. He or she never has the need to, rep- uh, to repeat this new birth process. Uh, he references John 3, 3 through 5. After a person has entered the family of Christ through baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, uh, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, he or she is a part of the church, the household of God, 1 Timothy 3, 15, Ephesians 2, 19 and 22. The new Christian thus has access to all the spiritual benefits of the in-Christ relationship as a son or daughter of God, within that sacred environment, the Christian petitions the Heavenly Father for his or her personal needs by means of prayer, including forgiveness for sins as a child who will err. However, if one was baptized as an infant, thus, make, uh, thus was lacking personal faith, he should repudiate the meaninglessness, uh, meaningless earlier rite in which he had no decision-making power, even though his parents were sincere in subjecting him to the procedure. He, in genuine faith, should submit to the command in the proper way. Infants, infants have neither need nor the ability to respond to the gospel of Christ. Perhaps you're baptized out of peer pressure. Maybe your friends were all being baptized at a camp, or your parents were pushing you to be baptized if you did not have the proper heart and faith that you were submitting your life to Jesus and asking him to forgive you. Then you need to be baptized with the proper faith. All right. Appreciate I, that. I agree, Chris. I agree. Let me give you a list of some things that would I think would necessitate being baptized again. If you're baptized as an infant, if you were baptized by a means other than immersion, if you were baptized but admit that you had not really repented before you were baptized, mm-hmm. if you were baptized without true faith, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, an example might be what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. You, you don't really believe in the true Jesus. Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses don't teach the truth about Jesus as the eternal only begotten Son of God. Yeah, if you uh, didn't believe you, the truth about that, you couldn't then confess you, it. That's right. And then, if you didn't have the right motive or purpose, if you weren't genuine and sincere in your heart as you were baptized, be baptized again. And again, my argument would be, uh, why would you take a chance? If you have doubt about it, it's pretty quick and easy to remove all doubt and be sure that you've done the right thing in obedience to God's command. Monty, before we end, anything? Uh, no, I think we've pretty well covered it. But like Greg said, it's a really simple process. If you feel like there's something in the process that you hadn't didn't accomplish before your baptism, and you, but you do understand that now, then take care of it. Because in just a very few short minutes, it can be taken care of, and you don't ever have to lose another moment's sleep wondering whether you're right with God or not. You know, uh, one of the things that I do, especially with, with young people, but really with everybody that I baptize, is I, I ask them to stop. Before we get into the baptistry, before we go through the act of baptism, I ask them to stop. I say, I want you to really drink this in. I want you to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I want I want you to be sure that you are fully comfortable that you're doing this with proper knowledge. Because 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now, when you look back on this time, I don't want you to have doubt that, I'm not sure why I did that. I'm not sure that I knew what I was doing when I did it. Make sure right now you remember those things so that in the future you don't have to look back and doubt your purposes 
that that caused you to engage in this act of baptism. All right, good discussion about baptism tonight and uh, some good response from our listeners. We appreciate you for joining us on uh, the discussion and your contributions. Again, if you have any questions about what we said or you disagree with us, we'd love uh, your comments. And uh, if maybe you'd be willing to come on a future edition of the, of the program and tell us why you think we're wrong. We'd welcome that as well. Any way you want to comment or uh, participate in the program, we welcome your participation. Dad, thank you for the discussion. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for being here, Monty, and being behind the controls. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the program. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.